This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec, the place to stay updated and educated. Hello and welcome to Tech Guide. This is episode 394. Thanks for joining me once again. Welcome to, to you first timers. Thanks for giving us a listen. My name is Stephen Fennick. I'm the editor of techguide.com.au. On this week's show, how you can sort out your home Wi-Fi issues once and for all. Motorola has released a new Razer folding phone, but the problem is they didn't let anyone review it. And Apple has joined the coronavirus fight by making face shields for health workers. In the Tech Guide reviews, we're going to give you our verdict on the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip folding smartphone. Yes, they did let me review that one. Fitbit has released a new Charge 4. And MasterCard has increased the contactless pay limit. We'll tell you why later in the show. And we'll also answer all your tech questions in the Tech Guide help desk. And it's all brought to you by Netgear, the company that always keeps you connected. And Norton, the company that always keeps you protected. Well, if there's one question I think I get asked most often, it would be, how do I make my home Wi-Fi better? How can I improve it? That is the most often asked question I get. And I'm about to explain to you how it can be done. So the answer is with a mesh Wi-Fi system. Now, this takes a bit of explaining. Uh, It's one thing to say what the answer is, but without explaining how it solves the problem. The issue that we're facing today is that our, our modems work fine, whether we're on the NBN, however our internet is coming into our home. The issue that we have is that the Wi-Fi part of that doesn't meet our needs. It doesn't reach every corner of our house. The quality of that Wi-Fi is often very poor. In fact, most people who complain to me about the NBN, it's actually their Wi-Fi that's the issue. I often tell them, go and do a test at your modem. So take your laptop or a device you can connect with a cable to that point and do your speed test and then take a mobile device into the middle of your house, perform the same speed test. If there is a drastic difference between the two, like but I'm talking like a more up to 50% or more difference between the speed at the modem and the speed on your wireless network, then guess what? Your wireless network isn't up to speed, isn't up to scratch. So often the solution that I've suggested to these people complaining about the NBN in, the, in these particular occasions is to have their to replace their current router with a mesh router so it plugs in the existing modem that you get from the from the NBN and you can then use the mesh Wi-Fi router to create your network now why is a mesh router better than a normal router the best way I can explain it is imagine if your router is a speaker and you're playing music at a decent volume, and let's say that router is at the front of your house. So the speaker is, imagine it's a speaker, is at the front of the house. The further away you go from that speaker, the sound gets 
the volume lowers and lowers. So if you're at the other end of the house, you probably will not be able to hear the music because it's only loudest in the front part of your home or where the where that is actually located in your home. The further away you get from it, the loud, the the, the volume's going to going to reduce. So it's not going to be as loud as it is. So imagine that is your Wi-Fi signal. So the signal coming from that single point in your home, the Wi-Fi diminishes, the strength of it diminishes the further away you go. And there's, there may be walls and doors and all kinds of things in between. That doesn't help things either. So imagine with a mesh Wi-Fi system, basically the difference is that you've got not only a speaker in the front of the house, but you've got two, one or two other speakers to put in the other parts of the house so imagine in that in that keeping that that similarity or that that comparison of it calling it a speaker so you've got a speaker in the front you can have a speaker in the middle of the house and a speaker at the back of the house or upstairs and all playing at the same volume so that wherever you are in the house you're hearing the same song at the same volume that's how mesh wi-fi works these units talk to each other back and forth, send data back and forth. So there's no there's no point where it's getting weaker in the middle of your home because it's or they're all connecting and forming a larger radius around your property. So it's forming larger coverage. And it's particularly good for we're lucky in Australia where we live in in larger homes than the rest of the world. Compared to the rest of the world, our homes where we live are, are larger. And this, these mesh routers can cover quite an area that they can cover uh, up, to, up to 555 square metres. So if you live in a particularly large home, then this is going to solve that problem as well. The other issue I get from, from people is that the modem's at the front of the house, they've got a two-storey house, and even the bottom floor is rubbish, upstairs is non-existent. Uh, I, I have I hear from people who maybe live in three-story terrace houses where the modem's in the middle level, and so that what they need is a satellite on the top floor and on the bottom floor, so they're all talking to each other as well. And there's a, there's a figure there's a, an illustration on how mesh works in your home, just to give you that illustration of how uh, the sort of the the network has a wider reach in your home, and there's also a diagram about how a router. Uh, compares to a range extender. Range extenders have been good uh, for for a while and and could in fact solve a lot of people's problems because they only maybe need uh, the the Wi-Fi to be extended uh, in a, only a smaller part of their home. They may even live in a small home. They don't need a full mesh system because they might live in, in an apartment or a, a narrow narrow single story place. Whatever it happens to be. A range extender could do it, but the problem with a range extender is that from the router to the range extender, that's a hundred percent signal. So you're getting from the router to the actual range extender is solid, but then from the range extender to the rest of the house or to potentially another range extender, you're losing half your signal strength again. So your your Wi-Fi is weakened already by the time it's got to the first range extender, and so that's where mesh works because the nodes, the little satellites maintain 100% Wi-Fi strength as they pass on down the chain. So if you've got if if you're upstairs and it's going through the original to a satellite to your device, then the strength is 100% all the way. That's why mesh 
is going to solve your problem. And you think about what we do today with our mesh routers. We're, we're streaming 4K video. We're playing online games. We're, we've got all these devices, smart devices connected to the network. Uh, we, we've got laptops and mobiles and tablets and all these other things that we're on all the time at home as well. And in particular, this is, is pertinent now because so many people are working from home. Students are studying from home. We're doing everything from home. And a lot of the, quip, the reason I'm talking about this right now is that fact that people have suddenly realised because they're all at home, all doing things at the same time, that their Wi-Fi is just not keeping up with them. They need better. They need a better solution. And that is the answer, mesh Wi-Fi. Now, I'm going to go through some brands, of course, that uh, have mesh Wi-Fi systems. Naturally, one of the first we're going to mention, the first we're going to mention is uh, one of our sponsors is Netgear, the Netgear Orbi, which was one of the very first mesh Wi-Fi systems to come onto the market. They have two and three satellite systems. So one attaches to the modem and the other one or two are in your home and create that uh, massive coverage. D-Link Cover, and Cover is spelt C-O-V-R. That is also available in two and three packs as well. They have a couple of versions of Cover. Uh, One is even now running uh, internet security software on boarded as well. Uh, I understand Netgear Orbi has a similar setup to some of their models also. They also have some very good uh, family software, so parenting software, so they can control the network, control, uh, it's like parental controls built into the system as well on the Orbi. Uh, The other system is the Google Nest Wi-Fi. It's also pretty good. Two and three packs again. And naturally, because it's uh, Google, it works. It's it's all uh, run through the Google Home app. It's very easy to set up and naturally compatible with Google Assistant. So you can uh, control them through a smart speaker with your voice. Linksys Velop is another one. They've uh, got dual and tri-band uh, mesh Wi-Fi systems. All the above to the, the D-Link cover, Netgear, Orbi, they're all tri-band as well. The uh, Linksys Velop uh, also works with Alexa, so you can interact with your system uh, to control your network as well. And, of course, another is TP-Link Deco. This is a range of uh, mesh systems that they have, the mesh Wi-Fi systems, and that's from $299. The others are from $399 as well. Netgear, I think, starts at $369, the Orbi. But all the details of everything I've spoken about, all these models, everything you need to know, uh, you can find them all at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. Now, if you cast your mind back a couple of months ago, you would have heard an interview on this very podcast with a gentleman from Motorola talking about the Razer folding phone. Uh, the, the, on the occasion that I had to interview uh, this gentleman was for, it was their first hands-on look at the device. They did announce pricing. They did announce the release date. And uh, they, they were happy to, for us to interview, interview them and look at the, write about the product and, and like do a little mini hands-on. And this, the, the release date, which was Feb 24, has sent, had since been uh, pushed forward because of the dramas with the coronavirus. Their factories were struggling to keep up and all these things were going on. So they had to postpone the release for more than a month up until on Friday, I think it was April 3, was when I got an email from Motorola saying that the Motorola Razr is now on sale at Telstra stores. 
And my first reaction was, oh, that's good news, but I never got a chance to review it. Uh, are you going to send me one? To review, as you know, anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I review all the latest devices, whether it's a laptop, a computer, or a, 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 a smartphone, whatever it is, a smart product, whatever it is, I, I normally get a chance to get my hands on it, give my opinion on it so that you guys can can hear that. And if it's something that's that's uh, that you like, that you can relate to, then it might be a product you might buy. So my question was, uh, where's the where's the review product? Can I can I see it? Can I use it? Because normally when I review a smartphone, it becomes my phone. I don't just write about the look and feel of it. I use it as my phone. My SIM card goes in it. Uh, in this, in this case, it would have been an eSIM, so they would have transferred my SIM information to the device, and I would have used it as my daily driver, and I would have given my review. But their reply to that was that we're not having a review program this year. We're prioritizing customers for the device this year, which I found rather odd because this is a device that costs $2,699. There's been a lot of hype around this product. Uh, a lot of it, like they, they, they were happy for me to interview them a couple of months ago and, and try to try to get get the get that bit of extra attention and PR for this product. Uh, but what happened just after our interview was the release in the US, and let's just say the review program there. They did allow journalists to review them there, but the reviews didn't really go very well. There were a few reviews there. I'm going to quote some of them now because if I can't review it, I'm going to at least read out to you what other people think about it. Uh, the other reviews were, were were poor to say. Uh, I think that that's that's being that's being kind. So Tom'sGuide.com, and I've got links to all of these on Tech Guide. He said that the uh, he gave the Motorola Razr 2.5 stars out of five. Said it had, and this is quoting, questionable build quality, short battery life, and a disappointing camera. Uh, he did point out a couple of positives that it had a futuristic folding screen and was super compact when shut. The Verge, their review was titled Folding Flip Phone Flops and it opens with this sentence. I can't tell you exactly where I think the Motorola Razr went wrong, but there are too many options to choose from. Ouch. It, was, it, it said, quoting the review, had a creaky, unsatisfying hinge, mediocre battery life, and a lumpy, bumpy main screen. Engadget also express, expressed similar sentiment, saying it had mediocre battery life, main camera is lacking at best, and the screen is dimmer than others in this price, price range, and it also had long-term durability was still a concern. So... If we can't get a chance to review it, and I suspect, and this is me speculating, this isn't Motorola confirming this, my speculation is that on the back of those really poor reviews, they really slammed the device in the US, I'm pretty sure that Motorola wanted to avoid more of the same in Australia because no doubt we would have, I would have found had the same experience and I wouldn't have pulled any punches in my review. Before someone spends $2,700 on a phone, I want them to know that I've given it my fair and honest review and I'm not going to just say that it's a good phone because I'm friends with Motorola. That's not how I operate. You know that. That's not how I do things. Other companies that I work with, Apple, Samsung, all these other smartphone companies, 
they I'm often on the the very first to get their phones. They're happy to give them to me to review, and they appreciate and and accept my honest appraisal, whether they might like it or not. That that's that they still they cop that sweet because this is my opinion. This is my review. So unfortunately, Motorola didn't uh, want to have me review their phone for you guys. So uh, if you have pre-ordered this phone, uh, I, I would give it a second thought. I, I would think about it really hard, see if you can get your money back on the on your deposit. Uh, I'm going to review the Galaxy Z Flip later in the show. That might be actually a better and cheaper alternative for you rather than spending your money on the Razor. Again, entirely up to you, but without me having it in my hands and using it as my my phone, I can't give you uh, the honest opinion of whether this is worth paying $2,700 for in the first place. So entirely up to you, but you can read those other reviews. I've linked them in, in my story on Tech Guide. Considering I can't review it, I might as well link to other reviews as well. That's my two cents about the Motorola Razor. You can read that story and those other reviews at techguide.com.au. Well, Apple has joined the coronavirus fight. Now, we, the, the things we've been talking about uh, to do with Apple in the, in the last few weeks has been about de- production delays and iPhone shortages and whether their iPhone 5G is going to be released this year. There's, there's talk they're going to delay it till next year. So it's all been about their products. Their stores have been closed indefinitely. That They said they were going to reopen on March 27. It's now April the 5th. And uh, April the sixth, actually, and they still haven't opened this kind of an open-ended closure there. So all this talk about Apple has been about the effects of the coronavirus. Well, this is a similar story. It is about coronavirus, but in a more positive way. Apple has decided to redirect all its product designers and engineers. They've done this already to design and produce face shields for health workers. The Apple CEO, Tim Cook, shared a video message on Twitter, uh, and he he explained that these face shields can be assembled in less than two minutes, typical Apple ease of use. He also said they come packed in 100, they pack flat 100 per box, so they're very conscious of the size of the packaging, as they would be with one of their own electronic products. So uh, that's good news there as well. They said the first shipment was already delivered to Kaiser Hospital in Santa Clara Valley, which is up the road from their headquarters in Cupertino. But they said by the end of the week, more than a million will be delivered. After that, they plan to ship them all around the world, across the US and wherever they are needed most urgently. So they are going to expand that distribution beyond the US. This is uh, Tim Cook in his his video message said that the... uh, Apple really want to meet the needs of the caregivers urgently so they can uh, they can help uh, bring this under control. They've also, as well, uh, supplied, they've sourced through their own supply chain more than 20 million masks. So the, the, those masks you see that doctors desperately need, they've managed to source 20 million and are sending them around the world as well. So really, uh, that's a that's a good good effort from Apple being able to do that. I think they're a, they're a, a sizable company that has the clout and the the the, the nimble enough to be able to do that. Uh, a few weeks ago, we spoke about how Dyson they also answered the call 
and the, the call was from Boris Johnson, who actually now has coronavirus, they asked them to design a ventilator which they did in less than 10 days, would you believe? So it's really, these stories are great that these tech companies are rallying, rising to the cause here, helping out. Uh, Apple, the, there was no, there was no, uh, they, they didn't have to do this. There was no, uh, no one forced them to do it. They felt that uh, this is their contribution, that they, they needed to bring these to the people who desperately needed them. And it's a nifty little uh, face shield. If you can get hold of one, if there's a spare one, it might be a collector's item, Apple's one and only face shield they've ever created i wouldn't be surprised we see them on ebay uh, before the end of the year but good effort from apple these face shields are going to places that are where they're needed these people are working very hard on the front lines to help get over this this virus get make us all well make it treat the people who have been struck down by it uh and, and do the very best they can and they can only do that with support from companies like apple and dice and all these other these other people that are helping them out you want to read more about the Apple effort there? You can check it out at techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Norton. They're the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Well, we live in a world that is constantly connected. There are cyber attacks more prevalent than ever. There are phishing scams, ransomware, online predators, and big data tracking our every move. Cyber threats, unfortunately, have evolved. But fortunately, Norton has evolved too. That's why Norton 360 gives you next-level protection. It combines the power of device security with a secure VPN, that's a virtual private network, to help keep you and your family safe and private online. The new Norton 360 all-in-one protection for your devices and online privacy, it's available now at leading retailers or au.norton.com. And now, a Tech Guide review with Stephen Fennec. Righto, firing up the reviews. We're going to kick it off with the Samsung Galaxy Z Flip. This is a foldable smartphone. We've done both a review on Tech Guide. There's a video review we've done as well. Uh, and this is a device that Samsung have a bit of uh, heritage in the folding smartphone market here. The, the Galaxy Fold, as you can recall, was their first folding device. Uh, that they, they brought to market. And this is very much using a lot of the similar technology, but in a totally different way. The uh, the Galaxy Fold was more of a two-in-one device where it was meant to be a phone one minute and then a second later it's a tablet. So it opens up like a book to a larger screen. The Galaxy Z Flip is slightly different. It is a small device that opens up to a 6.7-inch screen. So it's basically a smartphone that can fold in half. So that when you're not using that large screen, you fold it down, it's half the size, fits in your pocket or your bag really easily and is uh, is quite impressive, I've got to say. The design, I think, is, I think it's aimed at more of your fashion-conscious, design-conscious, trendier user. I don't think, I don't see this as a, a cutting-edge, workhorse, um, flagship, style device that a high-end user would would gravitate towards uh, but the the specs while respectable are still a couple of years behind the latest so that you don't get the latest camera the latest processor you are you are slightly behind not far still performs really well really fun phone to use but it's not delivering the latest camera that people want or the the cutting edge 
um, processor speed you need or there's no expandable memory on it either. So those little features might hold those those high-end users back. But design-wise, the, the the device is quite small. The th when it's folded out, the screen is actually quite narrow. I, 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 it's really easy to grip in your hand and once folded down as well is really small. There is a small display on the on the on the folded phone. It's really small. It's like 1.1 inch. It's there to tell you the time if you're getting a call, if you're getting a message, but really not that useful, that little screen. I would have liked a bigger screen so that I could have done more with the phone closed. So like for example, I would have loved to an answer a text message on that on that front screen impossible with that little screen it only tells you if i've got a message to answer the message and i'll have to open the phone um, speaking of opening the phone it is a, a folder of course but opening the phone is pretty hard with one hand you need it's almost a two-hand job if i'm carrying something in one hand and i need to open the phone then i've got to put that other thing down and then open the phone it's 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 really hard you can open it sort of with two hands and then flick the rest open flick it the rest of the way with one hand but not a two not a one-handed job closing it one-handed is fine you can do it not a problem but opening it two-handed would have been good if there was like a little mechanism that kicked it open and then let one hand do the rest of the work uh but you know, not not a deal breaker, but uh, that that's just something I thought we should mention. The hinge it doesn't fold completely flat, similar to the fold. The Galaxy Fold also had like a wedge shape to it, but this is less of a wedge shape. It is actually quite the gap between at the end the hinge there. It'd be a millimeter or two, if that. And uh, that that's I think to a smart move. So there's not too much tension on that hinge. You don't want the last thing you want going wrong on this device is the hinge. Speaking of the hinge, it does, as I said, use a lot of the technology that was developed for the Galaxy Fold. It is a lot smaller than the Fold hinge. It does have a mechanism that keeps a lot of debris out. Every time you open and close it, it all the debris is kept out, so nothing can, can get into that hinge and and uh, and make it malfunction. It is it is pretty handy like that. The display itself is actually a thin sheet of glass, would you believe? Uh, so it gives it a bit of a glossier appearance. The fold looked a little plasticky to me. The screen this looks more like glass, uh, and but and it folds. So go figure that out. It's incredible. It's still still glass. They're saying really ultra thin sheet of glass, and uh, if you rub your finger along it, of course you'll see and feel the hinge. It's there. Uh, it's a folding phone, but depending on what you're looking at, like I found that if I was browsing or using an app or anything, I totally forgot the hinge. I didn't even notice the hinge. I was noticing the content. In the right light, of course, you'll see the hinge, but that uh, that it's it's to be expected that, that, of course, there's a hinge there and you can see it in the right light, but it's not like it really sticks out really badly. It, you can still use your phone and not even notice it for 99% of the time. Performance-wise, you've got a 7 nanometer, 64-bit octa-core processor, which is still pretty impressive. Not quite the cutting edge that you get today with the latest flagships. It's got 8 gig of RAM, 256 gig of internal storage, no expandable memory. Would love to have expandable memory. And, of course, as a folding phone, it is not water-resistant. So don't go thinking this is like every other flagship phone that's water-resistant. It's a folding phone, remember? So don't go spilling a drink on it or dropping it anywhere. Be very careful. Now let's talk about the camera. It's got a 12 megapixel dual lens, 12 megapixel camera. So it's got a wide angle camera and an ultra wide angle camera. 
and it look again. This isn't up to flagship standards. It's not like an eleven uh, iPhone eleven Pro or Samsung S twenty Ultra, but it's still a reasonable camera. Uh, the, the, you can see the pictures I, I took with it and posted on my review on Tech Guide. Still takes remarkable pictures. Great for sharing on social media. Also shoots video. Does everything you'd expect. Has the single take feature as well that was on introduced with the S twenties, where you hit the single take button and it'll take photos and videos and everything at the same time. And because of its hinge, the hinge actually can stay open at, a, at a, any angle. And this makes it perfect for framing up your selfies. So what you can do is have it folded at line 90 degrees so it looks like a little miniature laptop. Position that, that front-facing camera. And then all you need to do to instigate, to, to activate the shutter, is to hold up an open palm and it'll give you a 3-2-1 countdown. A little circle uh, winds down and you can take your photo. So you can take, stand back and frame yourself up, hold up your hand, boom, great for group shots, great if you're in front of something that you want to take a photo of, a landmark or something. All you need to do is rest it on a surface and it works really well. I think that's that's typical feature that the ideal user of this phone, I, I would, would imagine who, someone who would be attracted to this type of phone, the Galaxy Z Flip, would love taking selfies, so this really plays into their hands. That, that also, having that hinge open at any angle also means you can watch your content very easily as well. You don't need a separate stand. The phone becomes the stand because of the way it is being designed. Now, let's talk battery. Uh, I was really impressed. This was my daily driver for a week and a half. I'm still using it now. And the battery was day and a half minimum. I was getting nearly two days worth of battery. It's got a 3,300 milliamp hour battery. Uh, I suspect it works longer, lasts longer, because the phone, when it was not being used, 90% of the time I had it closed. So there's no big screen inside to power up. So it's not like it was always activating a big screen whenever a notification came in or something or if I moved it. It was closed most of the time, so it really conserved the battery. I found, too, that when it was just resting on my desk, I would leave it open just so that I wouldn't have to worry about closing it if I need to access something really quickly. When it was in my car, I left it open as well. It was only closed when I was just sitting on my desk sometimes or uh, when it was in my pocket, I, I would close it as well. Now, this ain't cheap. It's 2199 bucks, so it is kind of a flagship model here. And I'm not sure whether your trendier, fashion-conscious, design-savvy user would be willing to spend 2200 bucks. Normally, someone who spends 2200 bucks on a phone are looking at the, the top-end Samsung, the top-end uh, iPhone, the, I mean the top-end Galaxy S series of phones, or an iPhone. So this this is a funny one. I think it it kind of puts it in a price puts it uh, in front of a different customer than it's what it's really intended for. If you understand what I mean, that that's a bit of an irony. The type of customer who's happy not to have the latest features because they like the look and design of a phone, they're normally spending a lot less money than what this is worth. But look, time will tell if they're willing to pay and the type of customer uh, who will use this phone. I, I found it really handy. I consider myself a high-end user. I found it really handy to use and did everything I needed to do. So I think uh, they've created a pretty nice device here, Samsung. They've given a real sense of fun to the to the experience. It's, it's a really impressive-looking phone and works great. So... Big tick all around, the Galaxy Z Flip. Uh, you can read our full review at techguide.com.au. 
Well, we know how popular Fitbits are. Fitbit is uh, one of the leaders when it comes to the wearables and, and those uh, trackers and, and step counters and all, all. There's a whole host of people who are really dedicated to the Fitbit brand. So that's why I wanted to talk about their latest product, which is the Charge 4. That, that's just been unveiled with a couple of new features, including built-in GPS for the first time. So it's got your GPS, it's got fitness and health tracking for uh, up more than, oh, I think, more than 70 exercises. That might have been gone over, up over 100 now. But it also has up to seven days of battery life which is remarkable. Normally Fitbit, I remember my Fitbit used to get to about four or five days, but uh, this is up the ante now to seven days, would you believe? So uh, still has that really nice look, very thin design, touchscreen as well. Uh, there, but there are more smart features for both, uh, not only that there's GPS, but also there's also other exercise features. One in particular I'm going to talk about is called Active Zone Minutes. This is a new personalized standard based on your resting heart rate and age. So it takes all that into account, knows your resting heart rate has got a heart rate monitor. So it takes all that into account so it can track any workout and put you in the right heart rate zone towards your weekly goal. Your weekly goal should be 150 minutes of exercise, so it puts you in the right zone to get you there. So it's kind of like a golf handicap. So if you if I'm playing Tiger Woods, who's he'd be off like minus three, I'm off to like 22, the golf handicap would even us up. Just like this feature, that's kind of what it's like. It'll 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 work out what you need to do based on your resting heart rate and your age. So it's not going to give you the same workout. If I, if I'm if my resting heart rate's 75 and I'm 52, it's not going to give me the same workout as a 22-year-old with a resting heart rate of 45. So it does it does personalize what your workouts can be based on those figures. And again, the companion app is excellent. So really gets you all the insights in your training, your sleep habits. Well, don't forget you can sleep with this as well. Uh, you, you can see all your personalized heart rate goals and it does all the math for you. So it lets you know exactly what you need to do to reach your goals. And uh, with GPS, of course, that is, uh, that's handy. You can map whatever you're doing. So uh, on top of the regular goal-based exercises, you can access seven GPS-enabled exercise modes. Uh, so once the workout, the GPS workout's completed, you sync your device to the Fitbit app to see your heat map. So it'll show you the map, uh, complete with all your workout intensity information, your heart rate zones, everything you need is right there. The Fitbit charge goes on sale on April 14. It's going to be priced at $249.95. couple of colours uh, available, black, rosewood, and storm blue, black. That's actually three colours. The Fitbit charge for special edition is also available. It's going to be $289.95, and it has an exclusive granite reflective black woven band, plus comes with a classic black band. So classic black band for when you're training, the woven band for when you want to look nice. So that, that's what you get for the extra extra 40 bucks. The Fitbit Charge 4, well worth a look if you're a Fitbit fan. I know that story was very popular because I know a lot of my readers love Fitbit and they've just released a new product. Fitbit Charge 4, you can check that story out at techguide.com.au.
Well, MasterCard have made a little bit of an announcement. They've increased their contactless payment limit to 200 bucks, And that's really handy because the reason they've done it, I know a lot of people listening thinking, wow, that's great. That means I can spend more with just a tap and go. But the reason they've done it, the main reason they've done it, is so that you don't have to touch the terminal keypad. So in this time here where we're minding, our, we're keeping our distance and staying home and not touching stuff, MasterCard transactions that are over 100 bucks now um, now have a $200 limit for contactless payments. So that means is less of a need for you to touch a potentially infectious surface. You won't have to handle cash or use a pen to complete the transaction. So they're doubling that limit so you don't have to touch the keypad. I've seen keypads wrapped in Glad Wrap. But you know what? That only protects the keypad. If there's Glad Wrap on it and someone touches it with coronavirus and I touch it after them, the Glad Wrap means nothing. It's only protecting the keypad. It's the same thing I'm sure plenty of you have seen, slightly off topic here. You've seen people walking around with gloves. And in particular in the supermarket, say that I'm at the counter and you know, they don't let you got to pack your own bag now, but the person at the at the checkout is wearing gloves. So they're 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 not changing their gloves every single time. So if they're just if, if there's stuff on your items, it's they're gonna protect them. The glove protects them, doesn't protect you. Anyway, slightly off topic. The MasterCard doubled has doubled the contactless payment limit to two hundred bucks. And just another just another tip here, if you are using a smart wallet, say you're using Apple Pay. You can that lets you pay for way more than two hundred bucks. If you've got a credit card, it's your credit card on there, and you can enable that with your face ID and your your home button. If you got a home button with your fingerprint, so you're still not touching the terminal, but you can spend way more than two hundred bucks because it's your credit card that's on there. If that if you have a credit card on there, if you've got a debit card on there, you don't have more than the money you want to spend, of course, then that's a different situation. But Apple Pay with a credit card uh, lets you spend like a credit card. So you don't have to, and again, don't have to touch the terminal. But good on MasterCard for thinking about this because it just reduces the risk for customers. They they, uh, they don't want that. And I'm sure Visa uh, will follow uh, if they haven't already that to, to do this as well for their customers. That's uh, a great move by MasterCard. You want to read more about that, check it out, techguide.com.au. This is Tech Guide with Stephen Fennec. The Tech Guide podcast is proudly supported by Netgear. They're Australia's number one Wi-Fi brand. Is your Wi-Fi feeling old? Does it buffer while streaming? Does connecting new devices slow it down? Can it handle gaming, video calls, large file transfers? And what happens when you try to do all of that at once? It doesn't matter how fast your internet connection is, if your Wi-Fi router is old and outdated, the Wi-Fi, the Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 from Netgear, your Wi-Fi will feel new again. Wi-Fi 6 is the latest tech that allows more devices to connect and stream simultaneously without impacting speed or reliability. The results deliver the fastest Wi-Fi for all your devices in your home. Stream in HD, 4K and even 8K without buffering. You can eliminate lag while gaming, connect more devices to your Wi-Fi than ever before. Orbi Wi-Fi 6 is like upgrading your Wi-Fi to first class. If you're ready, Netgear's best Wi-Fi ever. 
You can get it today from Netgear and never worry about Wi-Fi again. Check out Wi-Fi 6, the Nighthawk Wi-Fi 6 at netgear.com.au forward slash Wi-Fi. That's netgear.com slash Wi-Fi and the number six. And now, answering all your tech questions, the Tech Guide Help Desk. Our Tech Guide Help Desk uh, brought to you by our friends at Belkin. If you need a cable, a charger, a speaker, any range of accessories, check them out, belkin.com forward slash au. Now, in this week's Help Desk, we're going to talk about Google Wi-Fi. I thought it'd be pertinent uh, and topical to talk about that because at the start of the show, we were talking about mesh Wi-Fi routers. I had a question from one reader who, on my recommendation, went out and bought a Google Wi-Fi, and she noticed that the original Google Wi-Fi was called Google Wi-Fi. She's since discovered that the newest versions are called Google Nest Wi-Fi. Reason being is that Google acquired the company Nest and now include their name in a range of products, their smart speakers, their, their cameras, and also their, uh, their mesh routers as well, the mesh Wi-Fi routers. So she was wondering, will they still add on? If I want to use this as an add-on to my existing Google Wi-Fi, will they work? Well, the answer is yes, they will. You need to just go through the Google Home app, add the device to the network, and it'll give you a drop-down list of the devices you want to connect. Select Google Nest Wi-Fi, and it'll add it to your existing network. So it'll keep the same name of the network. It's just It'll just make it that little bit stronger because you've added one more Google Nest Wi-Fi unit. I had another question from a person setting up a new iPad. They were wondering, uh, how hard would it be? Can I do it? Well, it's actually quite easy if you have your older iPad, so if you got your say you've bought it yourself a brand new iPad and you're going to do a hand me down of your old iPad. So if you've got your old iPad, keep that handy when you're setting up your new iPad because it will create a little a little code. It's, it's like a little circle. Looks like a looks like a, a round. It's a round shape of all sing, all little dots. And what you do is you put the old the new iPad above the old one. And it'll detect there's an old iPad nearby. It'll generate this little code. You scan that with the camera of the new iPad, and then it'll start your setup. So it'll bring everything across from that. It is really, really simple. So uh, don't be intimidated by setting up a new iPad. If you've got your old iPad with you, it is an absolute snap. And that's the end of our show for this week. Uh, of course, everything we discuss on the show, you can find at techguide.com.au. And don't be scared to get in touch. Our email address is info at techguide.com.au. We want to give a special thanks to our sponsors as well. Netgear, the brand you can trust for all your Wi-Fi needs. And also Norton, the company that can keep you and your family safe online. Please support the sponsors that support us. Thanks again for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week. So until then, stay safe and stay connected. <laughs>